15th, uh, all the way, we start then and we come back around and we end uh, in a couple weeks. So we're not, we haven't started our new series, but as Sarah Claire alluded, uh, we're going to be in a new series this year called uh, Reimagine. But right now we're finishing out a series that's been all year called Rooted. And what does it mean to be rooted uh, in your city, to be rooted in your own story, hence story group, uh, to be rooted in the grace of God? What does it mean to really uh, plant yourself and, and grow roots deep into those things? And as we've come to the end of the summer, um, rooted in leadership has been our, our theme this month. To be rooted in leadership and le- the idea of leadership development. In the first week, I asked the question, who is investing in your life radically? Who is radically investing in you? And then uh, the follow-up question, who are you investing in? And so really talking about leadership just kind of as an individual thing, like for you personally. But the second week, we started talking about what does leading look like together? What does it look like to lead together as a community? As a body, and we're gonna keep talking about that tonight. And then uh, last week I talked about church being a ground for leadership development, and that church is really a lot like physical therapy to move us to health and to mature leadership. And as you think about that image of physical therapy, kind of continuing that idea uh, tonight, um, what are some of the issues? That's what we're focusing on tonight that we need to be aware of when looking at leadership, when talking about leadership, when thinking about ourselves being leaders, uh, when we uh, are following people in leadership, what are some of the things that we need to be aware of? Because there can be an undercurrent on the road to leadership. uh, leadership. Uh, There can be undercurrents. And by undercurrent, I mean the things below the surface that you can't really see. You see the top of the water, but you can't really see these things below the water that really you need to be aware of. These things that can be hidden from sight. And they're not just in us, but they can be in others that, that we're following. Um, examples of these, like the desire to gain power, to control people. We'll talk about that in the, in the context of codependency. Maybe that's a word you've heard before. Or glory for yourself so that you can feel better about yourself. This is really kind of the, the, what's behind narcissism. Um, And avoidance. Avoidance. Instead of having hard conversations. Instead of, uh, as we say in therapy a lot of times, leaning into something. Just avoiding it altogether. And I've been around long enough to see these things uh, not just in the church, in leadership in the church, uh, but also in myself. To see these things, and when we see them, what do we do with them? What does the path to healthy leadership look like? And our scripture today leads us further down that road. And I'll give you the outline uh, for tonight. Um, And point one is um, we're going to be talking about being used and using versus taking ownership and loving with boundaries. Being used and using versus taking ownership and loving with boundaries. The second part is uh, narcissism versus a whole present person. Narcissism versus a whole present person. And then thirdly, avoidance versus hard 
conversations. Avoidance versus hard conversations. Um, yesterday, from 9.30 to 1.30, we had our first ever new elder training at, at Kenton Megan's house. And I shared briefly there about my experience with elders as I became a Christian young in my life and, and began to attend church, that a lot of the time the elders in the churches that I attended were often distant figures. They were not people that I felt really close to, but they were people who were uh, kind of distant um, and they were often very successful financially. And because of their success financially, they were catapulted up to leadership positions. Why? To elder positions, to the boardroom, if you will, because they were going to give money. And um, this was a theme that I saw a lot in churches, is that these people who were successfully financial, successful uh, financially were given these roles roles as leadership and leadership and what pastors didn't uh, realize a lot of the ones that I served was the price that you pay for that the price that you pay for that and in this country in particular um, elders often operate like a distant advisory board and our hope here at Providencia is actually to raise up shepherding elders what I mean is not elders that are, are like business um, people, but elders that are shepherds, that actually know you, that are actually connected with you, that know your story, that know about your life, that have spent time with you, that have laughed with you, that have uh, wept with you. <laughs> and as we uh, dive into that, or as we dove into that with our elders on, uh, on Saturday morning, um, we also talked about how for our elders, they are not the only ones called to this. But we actually see each of you here in this space as being called to the role of shepherd. Um, I've used the word priest in the past and that the priesthood of all believers, but for some people, that word priest might be a little bit like triggering. Maybe, maybe you come from a background where that was a, 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 not a healthy word or, or maybe uh, from things you've seen in the media, that, that word carries a lot of baggage with it. But the idea of really being engaged and being with people, that scripture says that, that we all have that call to be with people. And so Story Group, as we presented here tonight, um, we're going to be working through this book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality and that we really believe it is such a significant thing for you to invest in. I can tell you without a doubt that if I sat down with each of you in this room, there would be no question as to whether or not you have gifts. Each of you have gifts. In fact, many of you here are, are leading already. You're already in leadership. And you may not even know it, but you're leading and, and you will have many opportunities in your life, many opportunities. But I want to tell you that one of the things that will be so neglected in much of your leadership, what will be so neglected in, in companies you often work for, what will be so neglected in communities that you can be a part of, is really investing here, is really taking a deep dive and a deep look at your own story, at your own heart, and how it affects you today. How the way you relate it in your family actually affects the way you relate here and now. So we will be diving into that. And one of those things 
that we're going to talk about tonight as we start is the idea of codependency. The idea of being in codependent relationships. Uh, what does that mean? Um, Drew Hanley, one of our, one of our elders in, in training, had uh, mentioned that when he first came to Providencia, that he and I grabbed coffee afterwards, and he was really excited. His brother is going to church here, and, and he was coming to church, and he saw the, the energy, and he saw the excitement. This was like about a year and a half ago, or a year ago, and um, we, we were sitting there talking. He's like, man, I, I want to I do something. Like, what can I do? And this guy's gifted. I mean, he's been around. He's served in multiple leadership positions. He's a lawyer. He has all these gifts. And, and what I said to him was, um, be present. Stick around. Be here. Be with us. And I could tell Drew was a little confused, and he actually alluded to that on uh, Saturday. He was like, what? Like, I have all these gifts. Like, what? You know? Um, but Sarah Claire then spoke up and she said, you know, that is so often the pattern in church. If, if you've come to a, this church for the first time or if you've visited a church for the first time and, and maybe you have a gifting that you've, you've been serving in other churches in the past and you come in and you're like, how can I serve? How can I, how can I give? I really want to give. Um, and that's great. But one of the things that we don't want to do here is we don't want to use you. We actually want to know you. We want you to be here, and we want to be in relationship with you, and we actually want to invest in you. We don't just want to use you. Um, we don't want to use you at all. Um, we want you to be present so that we can actually build a relationship. But what's crazy is we actually expect it in church. Some of you came here tonight, maybe, maybe it's your first time, and it's like expecting like I'm going to be used in some capacity. If they find out that I have this gift that, that I won't really be taken care of, I'll just be plugged in to fill a hole, to fill a gap. Now let's flush this out a little bit more as we talk about codependency in verse 35. The, uh, James and John come to Jesus and they say, Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Whoa. All right. Um, okay, a little insight in here to codependency. If you haven't heard this word, codependent relationships are often boundaryless. Codependent relationships have no boundaries, no sense of boundaries. In the words of James and John, we want you to do whatever we ask. Whoa. If you struggle with codependency, that, that, that line from James and John may not be that alarming to you. In fact, if you've been in the church uh, for a long time, you may think, oh, that is actually what we're supposed to do as Christians. We're supposed to do whatever anybody asks of us. We're just supposed to serve people, and, and, and even you can be used this text. You can even be taught from this text how to be an incredibly codependent servant. Do whatever I ask. I mean, Jesus talks later about be a slave. Isn't that what a slave does, whatever somebody asks? 
boundarylessness. And what you might not see here kind of embedded in this is this idea of, or what? James and John say to Jesus, do whatever I ask. Do whatever we ask. We want you to do whatever we ask. But, but or what? What's going to be the consequence if I don't do what it is you want me to do? See, in boundless relationships and codependent relationships, if you don't do what I ask you to do, there's always going to be a punishment. There's all, you're always going to have to pay a price for not doing what I have wanted you to do. Verse 36, Jesus is curious, however. Jesus is connected to himself, and he can tread into these deep waters. And he asks the question, okay, what do you want from me? In verse 37, they go right for it. Let one of us sit at your right hand, the hand of equality, the hand of power, like I have equal power with Jesus, and the other at your left in your glory. So let one of us sit with your power, the same power you have, Jesus, and one of us sit in the seat of glory, the same glory you have. Power and glory. You know, these are things often driving people's motives into leadership. And take codependency, for example. I worked... um, with a woman who worked for this massive parachurch organization. And we were having this conversation about codependency, and she said, you know, Keith, I realized one day that the last, like, three presidents of our organization, in fact, the man who started our organization was the son of an alcoholic and was a flaming codependent. And here's what happens uh, in, for people often who've developed codependencies, uh, patterns of relating, is you've grown up in a house where you have, instead of being the child, you have been the parent. So if you had a, a family member who was an alcoholic or, or a family member who was a workaholic, what you end up doing as a child is to survive. You have to learn to tend to the parent who's an addict in such a way that you hope at some level you can have some form of connection with them. So you have to work super, super hard. You have to be attuned really, really hard to who they are to try to work to get them to connect with you. And at the root of codependency, at the root of codependency, it's not about uh, this selfless service. At the root of codependency, what really has happened to somebody who exists in codependent relationships, it's part of my story, what, what happens to somebody who exists in codependent relationships is they do not have a sense of self. Instead of being able to be a child and grow up and have my needs cared for or have your needs cared for, by your parents, you had to learn how to care for yourself by trying to care for a parent, hoping they would care for you. And so instead of having a sense of self and what your needs are, your your antenna is dialed in to the needs of others at all times. So you can only feel good about yourself if the person who you're dialed into is feeling good. And that's why 
there's no boundaries. Because you have to do whatever it takes to make that person feel good. But Jesus has boundaries. And Jesus lets them know his boundaries. He says, you know what? You actually are going to drink the cup, the cup of suffering that I drink. And you are going to go through the baptism of fire that I'm going to go through. You are going to experience great suffering. But those seats, they're not for me to give. I cannot give you those seats. That's a huge fear of a codependent to, to disappoint the people that they're trying to please. But Jesus has no problem disappointing. And it not only shows his boundary that he has with them, it also shows his boundary that he has in the Trinity. You can maybe write, you maybe want to write this down. But, but the, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the three persons of the Trinity who are God have incredibly healthy boundaries. I don't know if anybody's ever told you that before, but the three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, one God, have incredibly healthy boundaries. They respect each other's boundaries. Jesus is saying, those seats are not for me to give away. Those seats are for the Father. The Father is the one who gives those seats away. That's him. And I will not cross that boundary to make you happy. I respect, I love. He loves within boundaries. So important. Now here's a, a quick pop quiz for you. If you're serving in a capacity right now in your life, will you find yourself getting increasingly bitter? You may be struggling with codependency. I was, worked in a rat lab in college and, and I really worked hard in that rat lab. Yep. And, and there was other people who would leave their stuff out and, and I would clean it up for them. It's like, man, those people, man. But I'm going to love, I'm going to love them, so I'm going to clean it up for them. And that, the first day I did it, the second day I did it, the third day I did it. Man, you do that for a semester, you want to murder those people at the end of it. But you keep telling yourself, oh, I'm doing it for Jesus. I'm loving these people. I went to a Christian college, you know. If you're serving in a capacity right now where you find yourself becoming bitter, you may be struggling deeply with codependencies. Are there, with codependencies. Um, are there people in your life right now that you're trying to control? Are there relationships that you're in right now that you are trying to control? Meaning, if I do this and that, then maybe they'll be like this, they'll be happy, or they'll do this for me. Instead of open-handedness like this. If there are people you're like, yes, I'm trying to control this person, or this, then you may be struggling with codependency. Pay attention. Pay attention. Are there places where you find yourself crossing boundaries that you didn't want to cross? I talk to so many people in dating relationships, and, and this is like one of the number one things, especially when it comes to physical things, like crossing boundaries. It's like, oh, man, a part of my own story and my own life, crossing boundaries, and I was like, oh, man, I didn't, I didn't want to cross that boundary. You may be struggling with codependency.
So that's codependency, interdependency, developing deep sense of self of who you are. And that takes time. It takes time to understand who you are. But I'll give you a little hint, a little cheat here, cliff notes. Begin to discover what your needs were as a child that you that were not taken care of. And it will lead you to understanding at a deeper level who you really are. Jesus goes there at the end of this text. And we'll go there as well. Um, so we talked about yesterday in our elder meeting about investing in wholeness. Investing in wholeness, meaning being able to find a place where we can bring all of who we are. And it's actually a part of our history in our church that we, uh, if you go back in the history of Christianity, you will see these deep, deep writers, the desert fathers, desert mothers, who, who are wanting to engage in your story in deep ways, in, in actually entering into things that are like mysterious. But here in our culture in the U.S., there are things that have begun to develop, things that have been neglected here that now have caused things to rise up that are like diseases in the church. And one of those is narcissism. Narcissistic leadership is not only on display in Washington, D.C. And don't think for a second that the president of the United States right now is the first uh, narcissistic leader we've had in D.C., I went to D.C. 20 years ago, and I saw narcissism everywhere. I didn't know what it was at the time. But there's narcissism throughout the culture. It's throughout our culture. Um, what is it? What is narcissism? Um, similar to being used in codependent relationships, because that's what happens. We use each other instead of really loving each other. This is also happening in the relationships with a narcissistic leader or if you're somebody who, who struggles with narcissistic tendencies. Um, narcissistic leaders give off this aura of incredible self-confidence. Incredible self-confidence. They are so confident. And if you are someone who doesn't feel confident, if you are someone who feels like there's holes in who you are, that you don't feel complete. When you are listening to a narcissistic pastor, you will kind of feel like just warm and tingly because they, in a way, fill up those holes for you. They make you kind of euthanize, like, like kind of numb to the holes for a second. And that's why Narcissistic leadership in the church has grown and grown and grown and grown. Um, and it's at such crazy levels right now. It is, it's actually scary how massive um, it has become. And some of you have read, I'm sure, about uh, some of the stories in the news um, about these leaders um, taking massive falls. And... Um, and then within a year, starting a church again. Like three or four affairs, and then they're starting a church again. 
It's like, that was quick? Wow. Um, you know, the road to repentance is a year long. Wow. And, I, and I'll say that it, it's, it, it goes deeply theological because there has been an understanding of sin in our culture that's been uh, populated by the church. And, and, and it's, it's basically uh, a sin. And, and then we have uh, this thing called forgiveness by Jesus. So we have this grace thing. And, and as long as we just deal with the sin, the act of sin, with a, a, a little grace card, then we get out of jail free and life goes on and I expect you to forgive me. I apologize, didn't I? I'm telling you the stories are out there. They're out there. And it's wild. Jesus is inviting this community of leaders, mind you, a community of leaders. See how Jesus develops a community of leaders together, people leading together? He's leading them into something, and it's not narcissism. What is it? It's into deep vulnerability with each other. In verse 33, he asks them, What were you discussing? They kept silent. They were arguing about who was the greatest. If the disciples would have been extreme narcissists, because this actually uh, can happen, if you really want to find out if somebody is narcissistic, if you have an assumption that they are, you can just ask a narcissist if they're narcissistic, and most of them will say yes. They don't care. They really don't care. Um, because they don't connect to their shame. They're shameless. They don't connect to their shame. So, see, behind this high, high level of self-confidence is actually an incredibly fragile ego, an incredibly low self-esteem. The, 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 the self-confidence is a mask. I need you to admire me, so I'm presenting this self-confidence because at the deepest levels, I can't even admire myself. In verse 35, Jesus calls them together. He calls the community of leaders together. And he says this to them. If you want to be first, become last. Run from the light. Run from the spotlight. I have two on me right now. Um, run from the spotlight. And serve. Serve. Become last. And then he takes a child, probably an infant in his arms, and he says, whoever receives a child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not just me, but him who sent me. See, Jesus is saying, whoever receives the vulnerable into their arms, guess what this requires, guys? To really receive the vulnerable into your arms, you have to be living into vulnerability. To see the vulnerable, you have to be able to empathize. A narcissist cannot empathize. The tall tale sign, if you're sitting down with a narcissist to have coffee, you're going to end up talking about them the majority of the time. They're going to have a really hard time listening to you. And don't get me wrong, when they're talking, it may like razzle-dazzle you. Like, oh, man, wow, 
you have it all together. I want to be you. But they rarely listen to you, much less empathize. And Jesus is saying, if you, if you want to be a part of this community, if you want to be a part of this leadership, you must walk in vulnerability. Vulnerability is not a place where you feel like you are in control. Vulnerability is a place where you relinquish control. Vulnerability is not a place where you are seeking uh, someone else's admiration to make you whole. Vulnerability is a place in which you go in and you actually seek and find the places where you don't feel whole. And you bring those to your community. Do you know these places in your story? If you want to help protect yourself from being prey to narcissistic leadership, if you want to help deal with your own narcissistic tendencies in your life, find these places in your story. Find them. They will help you be healthier in community, a healthier leader. See, one of the things that we also talked about at our elder training is that there's this incredible hunger for community. In fact, if you go to some churches, the first time you visit, they'll say, welcome home. Welcome home. We've been waiting for you. And you're like, awesome, cool. And then you have community groups. You know, if you really want to experience community, you got to go to the community group. And then you get signed up and you go to the community group. And you're at the community group and you're like, all right, like, is this, is this the community? We do this once a week and then we never see each other anymore. And these people don't even really know me. And there's this other challenge, though. It's like, what if they actually do start getting to know me? See, I don't think that the, 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 the churches that are doing that, I don't think that the, the pastors that are doing that, I don't think they're necessarily like evil people. I think they're trying to give you the community that they've experienced the best they can. But the reality is that I did not learn how to live in community until I went through a two-year counseling program. I did not learn how to become a pastor at uh, my Master of Divinity classes. I learned them in my counseling classes. That's where I learned how to become a pastor. That's how I learned how to be present with people. That's how I learned how to, to be connected to myself so that I could be connected to others. We have this hunger for community, but the church is lacking the tools to equip us to how to be in it. Because part of the tools that we need is how do we have hard conversations? When I was in that counseling program, I was sitting with my uh, female supervisor. You've heard me talk about her before. Her name is Monica Tappender. She said, Keith, tell me about your Christian faith. And I told her about it. And it was like a beach in Jamaica. And there was reggae music playing. And it was amazing. And, um, and I loved it. And she said, Keith, that doesn't sound like Christianity. That sounds like escapism. It's like a place where you just get to escape all your problems. Like, is that what you read in the Bible? And I'm like, well, the summer camp I was at where I became a Christian was at the beach. 
and that we played volleyball and we ate ice cream and we sang these songs and it was like, you know, we're never going to leave and we're always going to be friends. Like, it was like amazing. She was like, Keith, that was summer camp. I, I haven't read about those in the Bible. Christianity, real Christianity is about learning to suffer well. Like loving is learning to suffer well in community with people. Learning to suffer well with people in community and sometimes that means having hard conversations and not avoiding conversations that need to be had. And let me tell you, when you first start trying to have those conversations, my God, it is so messy. Holy cow, it becomes so uncomfortable sometimes. You're like, oh my God, how do I leave this conversation? Why did I listen to that pastor? This is the worst idea I've ever had. And God bless you, some of you may be freshmen right now, some of you have been in college for a while, but the hardest place I ever, ever, ever had to try to live this out was with roommates. When you marry somebody, it's like, man, we better figure this out. We're going to be together forever. But with a roommate, it's like, ah, eh, it's a semester. Can I survive? Do I really have to talk about how annoying it is that they never do their freaking dishes? That we're going to talk about how their mom didn't hug them or something? Like, what is this? You know, like, like we're going to get that deep right now with roommates? Come on. I'm telling you, God have mercy on all of you who are in that state right now. Because nothing, nothing drove me crazier than having to live with people and go, is it worth it right now? Do I, do I, am I going to have this conversation? And then them having that conversation with me and then us not having the tools to work through it or a support system like we have at this church to help me process what the heck just happened. But Jesus is not afraid of the hard conversations. <laughs> The disciples are sitting there thinking about who's going to be the greatest. And they're kind of embarrassed about it because they're not like wanting to admit it to Jesus. And Jesus is like, hey, hey, let's all sit down, guys. We're going to have a conversation. If you want to be the greatest here, learn to wash each other's feet. Learn to serve. Learn to live into vulnerability. And he tells them that. But Jesus doesn't twist their arm. He doesn't, uh, you know, manipulate them into it. He tells them, this is the way. And then guess what he lets them do? Decide if they want to do it or not. Take ownership of their life. We talk about a lot of really cool things here. We are trying to build an ecosystem that really cares for people, that your needs begin to be met in ways that you didn't even know you had needs some, in some ways, so that your life begins to flourish. And that does not mean your life, become, you start making like Benjamins, you know, like become rich and you're pulling up a Lamborghini or something. We're talking about that your heart becomes alive. That's what we're inviting you into. But guess who at the end of the day gets to make the decision whether you're going to walk in that or not? You do. We're not going to twist your arm. We may end up referring you to counseling. I go every other week. Guess what I learned? I go into my counselor's office. He doesn't do like magic spells on me. 
to make me talk about things I don't want to talk about or show me these secrets in my life. Guess who he lets bring those to him? Me. So you can take advantage of this path that Jesus lays out before us or not. But Jesus is not afraid of the hard conversations and he lived it out. He lived out what he was talking about. And on the night he was betrayed, before he served the bread and the wine, he got down and he washed their feet like a slave, like a servant. And it wasn't because he didn't have boundaries. No, he had boundaries. He knew deeply who he was. He knew deeply what his call was, to love people, to serve people. He wasn't trying to get their admiration. He knew one of them would actually betray him that night for money. And he knew the rest would scatter. He wasn't manipulating. He was living into his call to love and to serve. Jesus calls us into this family, into this community of leadership to love, to learn to suffer well with each other. We don't have it figured out here, but we are growing. We are growing in that. And we hope you invest in that with us. Let us pray.